Jack Rice is our legal expert. Uh, he is kind enough today to take some time to to break down what he's seeing with the Lazaro case. Jack, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm thrilled to be with you as always. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you very much. I, I'm uh, yeah, I'm getting better, slow but surely. I'll, I'll I'll get back, my friend. I know. I'm watching you from afar, so just know that. <laughs> That's kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not in a weird stalker sort of way. Oh. Just just know. Well, I'll, maybe a little. All right, all right. It's okay, Jack. That's cool. <laughs> you, you, I, we've, we've made the determination. We have the Mount Rushmore of the Matt McNeil show. It's Jeff Stein, uh, Cliff Schechter, uh, Dr. Joe, and you. You four are the best. You are the top. I'm putting you in the Roosevelt spot, okay? <laughs> well, thanks. Although he's got some disturbing um, history of his own. So. Yeah, well, they all don't. They all have their baggage, don't they? Yes, they yes, do. Yes, they do. Uh, okay. okay, I'm going to start with the question that Brett actually said. I think it was Thursday of last week. He's like, "Why in the world would Lazaro even try to win this case? The evidence against him is pretty astonishing." And and I'm trying to take the the side of the innocent until proven guilty. But as we've gone through this case, I don't see how in the world Lazaro thought he was going to be able to knock this down. Yeah, this is a very, very difficult case. Understand, first of all, let's go real big picture. I mean, Anton Lazaro is, is really charged with federal, federal sex trafficking. And it's a very, very difficult charge. When the feds take a case, you know they have something. Because remember, most criminal charges... You don't need to go to federal court. They can actually be done in state court. And so what will happen is that in in federal court, the feds will take a case if they decide, usually, they really have a good case, a strong case, and they want to pull that trigger. So generally, when the feds are taking a case, it's because they feel really good that they got a really good case. And frankly, they've got a really good case because they have a co-defendant. And that co-defendant has already pled guilty, has already agreed to flip on Lazaro, and is going to do it. And so that's the really hard part. Then we have the impact of victim A, B, C, D, and E, and and, and, and the mother of one of them as well, which were, you know, first of all, horrible. What happened to these girls was horrible. But in regards to this court case, became there weren't hurdles they were 20 foot walls i mean he's just these were these stories they all matched up they backed up uh uh, medina her story you know it really became the more we got into the prosecution's case the the less and less of an avenue out of it i saw for lazaro yeah you're absolutely right if we're going to talk about power the power of a witness really is usually based upon something that will grab a jury and hold on to it. This is the nightmare of all nightmares for any parent where something like this happens. And what you get are five young women, all very consistent in who they are, consistent on what they look like, consistent on sort of how they're targeted. Their stories are very similar in nature. And the idea that somebody like this would go after them and then have each of them to go into this room in front of this jury of 12 and point directly at Lazaro and say, this is what he did to me. It's the collective power of witnesses like this that really viscerally drive a jury. And that's one of the things that the Lazaro defense team is struggling with right now. 
The I'm going to read this here, and this is from uh, Lou or Goose over at Care 11 here. The I, I'm going to, and this is, it sounds like this is the definition here, federal definition. Elements of sex trafficking in minors, the defendant knowingly recruited, enticed, harbored, transported, provided, obtained, maintained, patronized, or solicited minors. In that description, do you have to do just one of those things, or is it got to be all of those things or a combination of them? It's one of those things. Now, really what this comes down to is something called the Mann Act. And the Mann Act in general was, was this. is Many years ago, all of these cases, first of all, the idea that you could pay a minor for sex, you can't do that. That's a felony in its own right. So that's true basically anywhere in the country. The difference is this. It's either a combination of crossing state lines or that paying for the sex and the coercive piece. And so it's the coercive piece that the defense team continues to argue about. But the problem is, is that a juvenile who is actually paid for sex, it's really in many ways built, the coercive nature of it is built in because a juvenile is generally not in a position to say, oh, sure, I'm going to have sex for you and I'm going to take money to do it. That's the problem that this team has, meaning the defense team, because of it. And then, by the way, here's an example. He had his girlfriend take the stand, and when his girlfriend took the stand, one of the things that uh, the defense has problems with is this, is that there's something in criminal cases called jailhouse phone calls. And what happens is there's phones in all of these jails where these guys are held in custody. Lazaro's been in custody since 2021 is that what's going on is he's picking up the phone even between court appearances or even at night after court. And he's talking to his girlfriend, who just took the stand, by the way. And in fact, the prosecutor laid this out where they made it clear that his girlfriend, who just took the stand, said this, and I quote, you let me know what needs to get done, and I will literally kill people to get it done. That's the girlfriend. <laughs> now think, of, think about what it does when you have a jury here that a girlfriend will do just about anything that she's told. And by the way, this same girlfriend, the uh, condo that's down at the Ivy downtown, that's been transferred into her name. Uh, the $40,000 Tesla, that's been given to her. The uh, credit cards to pay for everything. It, it, it's showing a transfer of money mm-hmm. that sounds very oddly consistent with what he was doing with these other uh, juveniles, although the girlfriend is not a juvenile. And, and it does make, from what you just brought up, it does make me ask the question, does Lazaro not know that they can listen in on the con- the, the jailhouse conversations? I mean, that's not unique, is it? No, it's not unique. I have to tell you, Matt, I can't count the number of times I've seen this happen. And in fact, there's actually a sign up there in front of these phones <laughs> that says that. The crazy thing is this, and this is true not just in the Lazaro case, but in other cases that I've had uh, all over Minnesota, is that some people think if they talk in a confusing or fancy tone that they somehow think that it's, it's going to make the people seem like they won't figure out what they're talking about, you know? So you'll use code. But the problem is, is you can't lay out the code. And, and no matter what you say, it sounds stupid. Yeah. So so you, you end up sounding like an idiot. And the thing is, is a jury gets to hear your own words coming out of your own mouth. And when you see that, you realize just how much power that has 
when you combine it with 16-year-old victims yeah. talking about how their lives have been destroyed, and that's what they've been saying to this jury. Uh, and Jack Rice joining us to talk about the Lazaro case. I want to get bring up two things here that I was I, I want to get your take on why the judge knocked these two things down. The first was Lazaro. I, I know this from that case. There was a Duluth politician that was having you know, they they had you know, you know consented uh, consented sex with a 16 year old, and I learned at that point that a 16 year old, as long as it's not like a teacher to a student or an a, you know a supervisor to a worker. You can they can engage in a sexual relationship legally in Minnesota. Lazaro was asking if he could basically uh, mention the state law regarding the age of consent is sixteen uh, because the keep he he was upset at how the government says this. The judge came back and says he can't refer to the info about the state age of consent, uh, but he says the prosecutors had to mention reference under eighteen rather than under sixteen. Can you talk about that? Why wouldn't I mean? I'm not necessarily looking to create a defense for Lazaro, but why would the judge be able to say, "Well, even though that's the state law, you can't mention it"? Ah, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay, so let let's lay this out so people understand the distinctions here. Minnesota, it, it can be odd because some people don't know this. A full grown adult can have sex with somebody who's 16, 17 years old. They're allowed to. It's legal. So long as they are, and this is the magic words, they are not in a position of authority. So in other words, the person doesn't work for, work for them. The person's not a police officer. The person's not a priest. The person has never been overseeing them. You can even have somebody who is a babysitter. That's enough for a position of authority. And so in this case, what Lazaro was trying to argue was, look, the person never worked for me. The person was never uh, in, a, in a place where I had more authority over them, so they feel felt compelled or coerced and so therefore uh i want them to see this the problem is this for lazaro the problem is that this is not about simply sex this is about paying for sex and that changes the dynamic because he's trying to argue that the statute that should apply in this case is that he's allowed to have sex with minors the problem is, is the statute that cuts the other direction is that felony when I was talking about earlier that says once you offer them, and in one case, uh, according to the, the uh, complaint by the prosecutor, by the AUSA, the assistant U.S. attorneys, uh, was that he first gave somebody an iPhone and gave them $800 in cash, and that when you start transferring resources, when you start transferring money, all of a sudden, this turns this into a not a... Um, a sex with somebody between 16 and 18 and an adult, it's actually paying for sex. And that in itself in Minnesota is a crime regardless. And I think that's the reason that this pro this, uh, the judge in this case pulled back and said, you don't get to cherry pick. It's going to apply differently. The other thing that I was kind of interested in is this. Okay, so yesterday you, you read that he's he was talking, he was making excuses that those photos didn't exist, that they were actual selfies, that I didn't really take these photos. His friend, Charles Bittman, or former friend, I'm going to guess, uh, a former business partner of Lazaro, contacted the FBI, said he had text messages and photos, which basically could help the FBI's case. The FBI went and got a, a warrant, got, the, got this information, and was able to bring this information into the case. Now, it's not exactly clear when this call was made, whether it was made yesterday or in the recent, you know, soon. But is, 
is that common to have like, okay, clearly this is evidence that contradicted Lazaro's testimony yesterday. And by the sounds of it, it's a nightmare for him today because of this, this evidence from Bittman. But is that common to have evidence that appears suddenly being introduced and being accepted by the judge to be presented within the court on a, a, uh, the, the uh, counter you know, pr- uh, proposal? Yeah, it's pretty weird. I mean, one of the things about any criminal case is this, is that there's a requirement called disclosure. And this disclosure requirement is basically anything that the state has, anything that the government has, they're obligated to turn it over to the defense because they have the right based upon due process in order to prepare for a trial. What happens is if the, if the government refuses to turn something over and then says, we're going to use this against you, then they're going to have a hard time, generally speaking. And in fact, there are some things that the government must turn over, even if they don't want to, because there's something called Brady, which basically says anything that can help the defense that the the government has. For instance, you have a, a police officer who's done a whole bunch of bad things, and then he turns around and arrests you. And you could potentially, as the defense, use that and say, you know all those bad things that that officer did? We think he did those same bad things in our case, and that's why we are where we are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it is unusual when something sort of comes in and feels like it's last minute, because how is it that you're supposed to prepare for a case if you don't know that that's something you have to prepare for? And that's always one of those things that has brings the potential for an appellate issue in the event that Lazaro was found guilty of these charges because then he could then go up the chain to the court of appeals and say, hold on, I didn't, they violated my due process. They were required to disclose some information. They failed to do so. Therefore, I get to start again. And by the way, thanks to you being on the air so much, we know about the Brady stuff with Minneapolis police. The the oh, exactly no, you've 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 you're you know spot on as always, Jack. The well, could they could Bittman have contacted them yesterday and said, "Hey, I heard what he said today. I've got this stuff." Would would that turnaround be something that would be potential? I mean, that's I mean that could be one way that they could bring it in is saying we just got this evidence yesterday, last night. Yeah, I mean, I think that really is the difference. The idea that somehow we didn't have this, we couldn't have disclosed this, we didn't even know it existed yeah. either. As soon as we received it, we had we, we turned around and provided it. I had a jury trial not long ago in which something kind of similar happened where I received a phone call at 9.30 at night in the middle of a trial from the prosecutor saying, I just got this thing, I didn't know it existed, and... My response was, well, you should have known I'm outraged, and et cetera. And so what ends up happening is then you go and you argue that out in front of the judge and say, hold on, if I had known about this, this may change the entire dynamic of my case. This is more prejudicial than probative. Those are legal, that's very specific legal language saying you shouldn't allow this in because it prejudices the defense to such a degree that they don't get a fair trial. But on the other hand, if the prosecutor doesn't know anything about this and it just drops from the sky, do you exclude it? And is, it, is that in the best interest of justice? Mm-hmm. You're always balancing the rights of the defendant on the one side and the rights of, the, of, of uh, those people who are uh, fighting the case on behalf of the government. And you're trying to find that sweet spot. That's, that's always the struggle the judge has. I don't think this is going to be a long jury deliberation. 
I think as being the prognosticator that you are, Mr. Nostradamus, that I think I think you might be right. This is this is one of those cases because we really don't like people who are charged with this kind of thing, and juries have a hard time being terribly empathetic. Yeah. Uh, he has the right, and the state has the the government has the obligation to prove their case, but. Jurors don't like this kind of a charge. Jack Rice is the best defense attorney in Minneapolis-St. Paul. He is. He has won awards. He is fantastic. If you have a case, you want to sit down and talk with him, sit down with Jack. He'll give you an honest opinion. JackRiceLaw.com. That's JackRiceLaw.com. I'll link to that a little bit later on. Jack, outstanding as always. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate the time. Thank you, my brother. I'll be watching you from afar.